Yeah, I don't want to mess anything up. Man, it, it is good to be together and praise the Lord. Um, let's just take a moment and just pray real quick. Can we do that? Father, you are good and you work in us. And Father, this morning I just pray that you work in us and through us in spite of us. Just supernaturally through the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today. Uh, perhaps for the first time. Uh, perhaps in just a, uh, a deeper understanding of who you are, who you've set us apart to be. I pray that you do this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Josh read to us from John 16. Uh, he didn't, uh, we didn't set the context for that. So I want to take you back and set, just kind of tell you a little bit about what's happening in John 16. It is, a, it is a dark day. This is the night leading up to the crucifixion. Judas has already left the, the presence of Jesus and the disciples and is on his way to betray Jesus. Jesus has told Peter, like the leader, right? Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And soon, Peter will. Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going to die and depart from you. And soon, he will. It looks bleak looks bleak and that's the context in which we just sang our savior was displayed on a criminal's cross and darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost there was suffering question there was sin it was hard and it's it's in that night and in the moments leading up to that cross and to the sin of the world falling on Jesus. That he tells his disciples what Josh read to you in verse 33. I have said these things to you. What I've taught you. What I've spoken to you. What I've said to you this very night. That in me you may have peace. Peace. It does not sound like a peaceful time, right? And Jesus acknowledges, in the world you will have tribulation. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be suffering. Jesus says, but it's a great transition, maybe one of the cooler transitions in all of Scripture. Jesus says, I know there's suffering. I know there's trial. I know there's loss. I know things look bleak. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's why we sing. But Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested. Now listen to what you just sang. And my life began. Let me make sure you understand what you sang. Apart from Jesus, you have death. There is no life. There is nothing. You have everything in him. And it is only in him that you truly begin to live. And to live as one who has overcome because he overcame. 
See, that's what we're going to begin to see here as we read in 1 John chapter 5, as we continue John's explanation, if you will, this description of what it means to be an authentic Jesus follower, what it truly means to be a child of God, and how we can know that we belong to his family. And one of the cool things we're going to see here in chapter 5 is John is going to say, if you are in Jesus, you are an overcomer. Not because of your works and not because of, you know, your superpowers. By the way, if you have superpowers, please see me afterwards. I want to talk to you about that because that sounds really cool. But even if you've got them, that's not why you're an overcomer. You overcome because Jesus overcame. It's all in him. And so what we acknowledge when we sing that death was arrested and my life began, we acknowledge that we overcome hate and now love because Jesus loved. You've been reading with us in 1 John? You've been reading all about love? We understand we overcome hate and love. Why? Because Jesus loves. We're going to read and realize that we overcome death and we live because Jesus lives. We overcome the world and all of its powers and all of its, all of its sin that entangles us. Ultimately, we overcome the world. Why? Because Jesus overcame the world. And so we're going to see this. We're going to be able to capture this in 1 John chapter 5. If you go ahead, uh, open up your Bibles, find the app, do whatever you need to do, get there. 1 John chapter 5. As we read, I want you to listen for this big truth. That every authentic child of God overcomes the world because Jesus overcame the world. We are overcomers. Well, what's that mean? It just means we have victory. We prevail we win. We win. And before I read, I've got to make sure you understand something. If you're sitting here and you go, I get that. I know it's true. But you're not saying anything. You're hearing these words of encouragement. You go, man, i got victory in Jesus. And you acknowledge it's true. But deep down inside, there's a little voice in you going, but it doesn't feel like it today. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. And so as we walk through this, we're going to see a pursuit of these things. A convictional truth that is claimed in faith. And I want you to listen for it as we read. And I'll point out our big truth as we get to verse 4 and we begin to see John kind of introduce that to us. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome here's our big truth listen as it begins in verse 4 for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Listen to verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So as we've been journeying through 1 John, like I said, we've noticed that John is speaking very clearly and very simply to try to hold up an understanding of what it means to have an authentic relationship with the Lord. And in the previous chapter, we spoke a lot to love. And he, under, he talks about essentially how if we are in God, we are also going to love. And sometimes it does us well to go back to the previous chapter to understand context. You've got to remember when these letters are written, there's not chapters and verses. It's a flowing thought. So oftentimes the context for what we read is in the previous section. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning in the first five verses. And I want to just quickly, we're not going to re-preach it. You're not going to get two sermons this morning, all right, I promise. But I do want to take you back really quick to the last few verses. And I want you to notice that the command that's left at the end of chapter 4. So go back with me, chapter 4, verse 19 is where we'll pick up. John says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother who for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now listen to the command. This is important. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's how chapter 4 ends. And then we begin into chapter 5, into what we just read. And what I want you to see is John's trying to answer a bit of a question. Who gets to define love? How do we know if we genuinely love our brother? And that's a really important question because in our world, there are many definitions of love. I mean, think about it this way for a moment. We talked about this at Behind the Message. Listen, if you can at all on a Wednesday night, get here at 6.30 and get plugged into Behind the Message. We chase things in the sermon that we can't get to or we chase some questions and we build up a lot of context and teaching. It's so good. And this is one of the things we talked about last week. This week we'll talk a little bit about verses 6 through 10, which we're not going to be able to get to with a lot of time this morning. Behind the message, 6.30 on Wednesday. 
But I asked those guys on Wednesday night, who gets to choose, who gets to measure what is love? Is it the recipient? So if I do something that I intend to be loving for my wife, does my wife's discernment get to measure how loving my act was? By the way, there's many people who think that in just their casual relationships. Think of the way you engage your friends. I mean, really, just think about it for just a moment. Think of the way you engage your friends. You often measure whether or not you are a good friend by how they perceive you. If they get upset with you, I must not be too good of a friend. We, we think this way. Here's what we're saying. The recipient in their discernment gets to measure love. Well, maybe it's the giver who gets to discern what is love by their motive. So if I'm well-meaning and I have a motive of love and that's what drives me, then that must be love regardless how the recipient feels about it. The problem with us trying to wrestle through this is that we think of one another. And when we think of one another, we realize we're broken. The recipient's discernment is imperfect. It's broken. The giver's motive is imperfect and broken. And so it makes us trying to measure love very fluid and very broken. And so the easiest way for us to get an understanding of how to measure love is to think of our relationship with God. No longer are those things peers. He's absolute. He's right. He is true. And if I were to ask you, is God's love unconditional? You would quickly say, yes, it is. His love for me is unconditional. What if you don't recognize what he's doing in your life? as loving. See, you, the recipient, don't get to dictate what is love. Not to God. It's important. You following? Because what you would be saying is, I am a condition that determines whether God is loving or not. And you just said, I, God's love is unconditional. See, why is this important? Why are you chasing this thought with me? Because love is absolutely defined by the character of who God is. This is why our scriptures say God is love. Love is not measured by your discernment as a recipient or as your motive as the giver. Love is measured by the absolute character of who God is. God defines love, and it has an absolute definition. So John wants to speak to us, and he wants to help us understand how we love our brother. That's the transition into chapter 5. He wants us to know how we measure our act of love, because the truth is we all would just speak from our own discernment or our own motive and we would claim love whether it is or isn't 
And so we get led into our first big idea that authentic overcomers live out the love of God. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. Our brothers and sisters, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. It's a pretty clear definition. In other words, our love for others is an overflow of our love for God. The more we understand who he is, the more we understand his revealed character, the more we are capable of loving others. That has incredible practical implication for our life. Think of that in the context of your spouse and how you pursue to love your spouse. Think of that with your kids. See, listen, all around the world, everybody's going to say, oh, I love my kids. Do they? How's that measured? Now, church, listen, here's one of the things that ought to catch our attention. The reality is our understanding Our practice of love is shamefully almost indistinguishable from that of the world. We define those loving relationships, those who are closest to us, and we define that love by things just like, you know, like-mindedness, history, relationship. They're they're just, they're presence with us. I want to be really honest, some of the people who have probably loved you the most in your life, you rejected their love when they called you to repentance. When they bored you a little bit too much with their God talk. It is because they understood that genuine love is an overflow for the the love of God. So here's what I'm trying to say on a real practical level. Mom, you want to love your kids more. You truly want to love them. Here's what you do. You get up at 5 a.m. because you have to because you're that busy. And you open up your Bible and you begin to study. And you begin to, I'm not talking like you do a little devotion for 10 minutes. I mean, you study as if your little home office becomes your seminary. As if it's your job. As if through the overflow of God's word and his revelation as he reveals himself to you supernaturally, through that you will be equipped to genuinely love your kids. I know, you might not have time that morning to write a note on their napkin when you pack it in their lunchbox, but I assure you the mom who didn't pack the note napkin but got up and got in the word loves their kid more. That's right, I'm measuring our love. Because what we're seeing is John is saying an authentic overcomer lives out the love of God. This is how we know we love our brother. Because we love the Lord and we trust the overflow of our love for God to saturate into their life. We talk and engage about the things of God. You say, well, you know, there are people in my life, and they're not believers. By the way, I have these. 
who, the truth is, I might say something like, they love me the best they can. Let me give you another parallel to what you're saying. There are lost people who do the best they can. But you know their works and the best they can do does not count for righteousness. You know it's not righteous. You know they're doing something they cannot do. The same applies in the way we measure love. And the reason that's so convicting for us is because we've so married to a world definition of love that love has become something that we've separated from the very character of who God is. Authentic overcomers live out the love of God in their life. They measure love according to God's revealed word and they pursue it. And I'm going to be honest, if you're like me, you're going, man, that is so hard. How on earth am I going to be able to do that in my relationships, in my marriage, with my family, my kids, with my friends, on mission, my neighborhood, and across the nations? John gets into our second big idea. Authentic overcomers live out the testimony of God. Verse 3, for this is the love of God. So he said, look, this is how we love others. Watch the transition. We love God. That'll overflow into the love of others. Okay, so now how do we love God? That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, remember, all this is so that we will know we are authentic Jesus followers. And what does that look like? And we're here, we're talking about the testimony of God. Really what we're trying to say is the revelation of God, him making himself known to us. We see that laid out in verses 6 through 10. This is what uh, John is talking about when he's talking about Jesus and his testimony, the revelation of God becoming flesh, the word becoming flesh, Jesus, God making himself known. And we're charged to keep his commandments. Now, look, when we read keep, here's how I want to think of it just really quick. Like, I do. I do all his commandments. Listen, you're going to fall short. You're not going to do everything right every day. It's just not going to happen. And the word that's here is actually a larger word than just do. The word is to guard. It implies it is the conviction, the purpose of your heart. You see the revelation of God, his testimony, as conviction, as purpose, as something you guard. It's what you look forward to. It's what guides you. It's the carrot. <laughs> Does that make sense? Let me give you an example when this really made sense to me. I was a middle school pastor, and I had taken our kids to this camp. And by the way, I'm getting older, all right? So this has to do with a few things in this story. And they had paintball at this camp. I'd never played paintball before, never heard of it. I just knew somehow out of a gun came paint, and it, when it hit you, 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 you could see the paint on you. That's all I really understood. So I showed up, and I got on these, like, nylon shorts, because that's what people wore back then, uh, and, like, this really thin T-shirt, because it's July. Except all the middle school boys showed up, 
And they're all wearing like Carhartt jackets and like these big Michelin men like coats. I'm like, what is wrong with you? They're like, we don't want it to hurt when we get shot. And I didn't say anything, but in my mind I'm going, they're letting you play your children. How? I mean, it's got to be safe. It's not going to hurt. So they divided us into two teams, and one team had the fort at the top of the hill. The other team was at the bottom of the hill. Right up the middle is just an open path, about as wide as, say, one of our aisles here. Just open path right up the middle. And on the right side and the left side, there's trees and obstacles and little forts and all this kind of stuff. And our objective is to make it to the top of the hill and capture the flag. I huddle with all of our middle school guys the bottom of the hill. I said, guys, here's what we're going to do. When they sound that horn, we're all going to take off up the hill like Rambo. They're like, who's Rambo? I'm like, oh. all right. <laughs> anyway. So I'm like, well, we're going to take off up the hill and we're all going to just shoot like crazy. Listen, some of us are going to take one for the team. But one of us will get through. We just all just go and just keep shooting. And they, they kind of look at me and they grunt and nod, which is a good normal affirmation for like a middle school guy. And sure enough, the horn sounds, I take off up the middle. I mean, I am running and back then I'm a little, little more agile. So I'm making it up pretty quick and I'm shooting and I get about halfway and I catch a paintball right in the collarbone. Oh my goodness, I wanted to cry. <laughs> I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let them see. You don't let them see you cry. That's a no, no, you don't do that. But I wanted to. And so the rule was, once you've been shot, they stop shooting you. The problem was I was the youth pastor, and they really enjoyed shooting the youth pastor. So I was supposed to raise my hands, and they, and they stop, but they don't. And I'm getting mad because they're just shooting me, and it hurts. So I literally lay on the ground, and I'm like curled up in the dirt. And I notice no one is running past me. And I wonder what's happening to my team. I turn around and look, and at the bottom of the hill... Every middle school guy, they've not taken one step. They're just sitting there laughing at me. <laughs> I am so angry. <laughs> I get up and start walking down the hill. They're shooting me in the back the entire way. I'm so mad. I get to the bottom, and they can see my face, and they stop laughing. You know, they're like, oh, oh yeah, he, he doesn't think this is funny anymore. And so it was one of those. And I asked the guys, I said, guys, what are you doing? We had a plan. We're going to charge in the middle. You just laugh. What are you doing? And there was this, this guy, I think he was in sixth grade, he, he's quiet, he didn't speak much, and he just looked at me and he goes, your plan was stupid. <laughs> and all the kids just like nodded, you know. It's like. He explained, he said, look, you don't just run up the middle, that's why they have all this stuff. It's like, you like, got to be careful, you have a strategy about it. And when he said that, my mind immediately went back to Joshua 23. Joshua was old, he's advanced in years, they've... Uh, for the most part, conquered Canaan, and Joshua's about to die, and he gives his farewell address to the people of God. And in verse 11, he says to them, going forward, be very careful to love the Lord your God. See, careful means strategy. It means strategic. It means purposeful. It means with intent. See, we get this in Ephesians 5, too, when Paul writes and he says, walk wisely, navigate your steps carefully, each step carefully. Listen, 
The authentic overcomer does not view God's word as burdensome. They view it as a path to life. They understand that as God has revealed himself to them, their life began in Jesus, and Jesus is revealed in his word. And it is the God to carefully navigating their steps. They see it as something they look forward to. They pursue it. They guard it. They guard it. They find peace in God's word, not burdened. Remember when Jesus was speaking in John 16? We've read that a few times this morning. He said this, I've said these things to you that you may have peace in me. In me, there's peace. Yes, there's tribulation and trial and suffering in the world. But in me, there's peace. The authentic follower of God understands that the steps that are going to navigate trial and tribulation and suffering in this present age are navigated through the revealed testimony of God, his word. And so there's a high view of God's word. That's what we're saying. Those that keep God's commandments, they guard it, they pursue it. It matters to them. Precious, it's a gift. And one of the problems when we read this is we have a cause and effect problem. We get them mixed up. We read something like this and we think that obedient love is the cause and then God's saving work is the effect. That's wrong. That's wrong. Obedient love is not the cause and God's saving work is not the effect. It's the opposite. See, God is the cause, and obedient love is the effect. See, as God reveals himself to us, in Jesus our life begins, and he transforms us, changing us, conforming us more and more into the image of Christ, more and more like him. And as we know God, we love him, and as we love him, We love others. And this is what it looks like to be an authentic overcomer. God has made himself known. John speaks of this in those verses 6 through 10. And he he essentially says to know him is to love him. To know him is to love him. And to know him is to follow him, is to keep his commandments. And this is not burdensome. This is peace. This is where life is. This is value. This is worthwhile. The authentic overcomer has had the veil removed. See, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes and he says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the word of God is read, a veil lies over their hearts. They don't get it. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. They see it as life, not burden. They pursue it. They long for it. Piper says, what you desire to do with your whole heart is not burdensome to you. Catch this. This is important. You say, what does it look like to love God? 
When God first reveals himself, back in Deuteronomy 6, we begin to see this, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart. That's all of our intellect, all of our heart. All of our heart. We love the Lord our God with all of our soul. All of our being. All of our strength, all of our resources. What, What does it mean? It means to love the Lord God and to pursue The guarding of his commandments is to live your life for it. It's in front of you. Our third big idea, authentic overcomers live by faith in Jesus. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It's a promise. If you're going through some suffering, if if you're struggling... You're holding on to your faith. Man, capture that promise this morning. Regardless of what you are going through, if you are in Jesus, God has overcame the world, and in him you will overcome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Victory is in our faith. It's not our works. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we boast in. It is our faith. And our faith is not some undefined kind of mystical thing that seems to happen to us. Listen, it's not something we even generate. Our faith is a God-given response. A God-given response of trust, Submission, repentance to the revelation of God. It's conviction. It is the response given to us when we are confronted with the overwhelming reality of the gospel. That word, that's a really important word. That Jesus is the son of God. It is the true revelation of who God is. John makes it very clear, Jesus is the only way. Faith in Jesus is the only way to life. He says in verse 11, and this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. That's why we sang what we sang this morning. And whoever has the son has life. Listen, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. We talk about an abiding relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 15, where we see that explained, Jesus says, in me there's life. But in his words, apart from me, there is nothing. Nothing. If you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, there's never been a moment in time where through saving faith and repentance, confronted with the realization, the revelation of who he is, 
you have cried out to him as Savior, as the Son of God who died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins that you might be reconciled, made right, redeemed with the Lord. You only have death. And you will not overcome this world. But in Jesus, through faith, There is nothing in this world that you cannot overcome. Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Paul calls you more than conquerors. Why? Because Jesus overcame the world. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. And we're going to once again sing... Death is arrested, and my life begins. And as we sing, I want to leave you with a challenge. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, my prayer for you is that right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would reveal Himself to you in such a way that perhaps for the first time in your life, you try to pray. And right where you're seating, you acknowledge there is nothing apart from Jesus. But in him, there is life. And for the first time, acknowledge he is the son of God and your sins separate you from being an overcomer, from being part of the family of God, from being right with God. There's nothing that you and of yourself can do to fix that. But only claim in faith the work of Jesus, his death, his life, the fact that he rose, conquering what you could not conquer. And cry out to God. And acknowledge that you claim Jesus and his overcoming work for you. If you're here and you're a genuine believer, take courage. Take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. And regardless what suffering, what trial, what tribulation you are in, ultimately you are a conqueror. You have victory. You have value. You no longer live in hate, but you live in love. You no longer live in death. You live life and life eternal. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. And so in this moment, as we respond to the Lord, praise Him, worship Him, Acknowledge his work in your life. He has redeemed you and saved you. Called you joint heir. And allowed you to share with him the fruits of eternal life. The fruits of his work. The fruits of overcoming your sin. And all that entangled you in it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father.
Lord, you are good and you are worthy to be praised. Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, those who do not know you would praise you for the first time as your child. Father, I pray for those of you or for those who are here, they would praise you being reminded that they have life because your son overcame the world. May our worship bring you glory and honor this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.